Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Doc's Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa. Today is our first of many episodes about Harry Potter, the literary masterpiece that is very much a part of both of our lives. Yeah. When do, when was the first time you read Harry Potter? I read Harry Potter in the seventh grade. Yeah, basically when it first came out. Yeah. I think I think I tried to hold off for I, a year. I held off because I knew that all the first three books were all released when I started reading. Yeah. In me, the same, U.S. Same. Yeah. Same. Because I remember like one of my friends actually, because she loved it, she got me the first three. I was like, you have specifically to read didn't read it because everybody loved it. And then, of course, same. I read it. Oh, my God. We were trying to and be so And I cool. was like, you know what? <laughs> I am drinking the Harry Potter Kool-Aid. Yeah. So today, it's game day. And we will be talking about our favorite magical sport, Quidditch, and what it does to your body. Spoiler alert, probably nothing good. It's mostly injuries. So we'll cover 700 Quidditch fouls. JK, not all 700 fouls. The infamous Ronsky feint. And then, of course, concussions. Myth versus reality. Enjoy. Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. All right. So... Uh, one thing in Harry Potter that we've noticed is that the primary way or the primary sort of like interpret, not interpretation, um, presentation of illness is through injuries. Our fave trio gets injured frequently, as do their I various don't know if classmates. I they're my favorite trio. Oh, just okay. as a caveat. Sorry, they are my favorite trio. Okay. The main trio. Name a, name a better trio. <laughs> I can't right now. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. We'll put it put it on the list. But I don't really like Harry or Ron that much. Oh, my gosh. Just the same. <laughs> Those are like fighting <laughs> words. Okay. Well, anyway, so the primary way that we see a lot of illness, quote unquote illness, in Harry Potter is through injury, which is actually kind of appropriate um, because for that age group of children... Um, those unintentional injuries are the leading cause of morbidity and mortality or, you know, getting sick and getting killed um, <laughs> in the United States. Um, and so we thought it would be cool to talk about one of the most common ways that uh, characters seem to get injured, which is through sports. And in Harry Potter specifically, that would be Quidditch. Right. And... Quidditch as a sport seems particularly dangerous. Like inherently super dangerous. Literally any other sport. Um, it's so Quidditch, if you're not familiar with Harry Potter, which I'm sure all of you which are. Everybody should be. It's basically because two if not, teams. why are you here? You're on a field, you fly broomsticks in the air, there are hoops at the end of the field, you're trying to score points, and then at some point, like at the halfway well, it's not really halfway point, but at some point during the game they release what is called the golden snitch. Someone catches that, that ends the game, and then they tally up points. Yeah. And it's essentially the rules are sort of a combination of soccer rules. Uh, there's some lacrosse-type skills. There's some polo-type skills. Um, but essentially, it is a sport where children and adolescents are traveling at high speeds <laughs> at some number of feet above the ground with little to no helmets and lots of uh, sort of uh, 
<laughs> balls flying around <laughs> things things that could cause blunt force trauma very easily. Right. I, I think it would definitely be categorized as a full contact sport. Yes. Essentially. Oh, definitely. Even though definitely. in theory they're supposed to be flying around and you're supposed to be, you know, scoring points with balls, but I mean it's definitely a contact sport. Yeah. And you see that in the movies, you see that in the books, people running into each other, all that kind of thing. So one of the things we think about when it comes to um, the muggle world with sports like that is the first most important thing is what do you what do you do to protect yourself? You know, how, what are the things that you wear to protect the most important parts of your body, which to us probably in the order would be your head your yep. chest, and then your arms and legs. I feel like the first three are like your head. And things <laughs> One, two, three are your brain, your brain, your, your brain. Yeah. Your heart. Your face, maybe, also. Yeah, your face is that like might pretty be close five. to your brain. It'll be like brain, 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 heart, face. Face. <laughs> and then arms, legs? Arms and legs can be yeah. tied. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at Quidditch, um, you know, once now that I have gone through medical school and have been a pediatrician for some time, I look at everything as a how on earth could a child be injured doing this activity? <laughs> um, so in Quidditch, I mainly think of blunt force trauma or getting hit with things or things like falling. So I would think at base, everybody should be wearing a helmet right. that actually protects your brain. Yes. That fits right. In your face. Um, for a lot of the players, um, wearing sort of the chest protection, like some sort of chest guard, similar to what I think you're required to wear in um, like varsity boys lacrosse hmm. and hockey. I'm not familiar with lacrosse. There playing, is like a chest Hockey, pad. I know that you have like that whole apparatus that kind of goes onto your shoulder, like football, basically. Like football, yeah. yeah. Um, so something to protect your chest. Um, and then things like shin guards, um, maybe arm guards, elbow pads, the normal things to protect, like, those sensitive areas. Right. And as far as we can tell, in Quidditch, at least as it's represented um, in the movies and possibly in the books, but I don't really remember them talking about protective gear specifically, people wear gloves capes for some reason for some reason shin guards arm guards and then only keepers actually wear like chest chest armor which is like and maybe a helmet like keepers wear the keepers wear a helmet but they wear this weird like water polo looking helmet that only has like padding on the ears (laughs) mostly because i can just picture ron wearing that outfit yeah and looking really silly i mean he did look particularly stupid in it but um but we were sort of, you know, they should be really wearing like closer to a football helmet. Yeah. That protects your like a face, face mask kind and of your situation. eyes. Yeah. There, there is some suggestion that they do wear goggles, but that's probably just to protect their eyes from the fact that they're like flying at high speeds and there are like bugs everywhere. Right. I don't think that's so much protection as it's to keep their vision, vision clear for yeah. the game. And also sometimes they just have to fly through like rain and clouds. Sure. Which maybe don't play Quidditch. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe call it for weather. Maybe. I mean, maybe. It's, just... it's already baseline pretty dangerous. Um, there's also no suggestion that there's anything to protect them from falling. Like, gravity still applies in magical worlds. <laughs> right. And, I mean, in addition, there's nothing to actually keep them on the broom. Besides, yeah. presumably, the strength of your thighs. <laughs> like... Which, if you've seen Harry Potter. Right. The first 50,000 descriptions of him are that he is scrawny. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even like polo players, if, I, if you think about 
um, Quidditch with riding the broomstick is kind of like riding a horse in polo. Polo players like obviously aren't strapped to the horse because in the case that the horse stumbles or falls or whatever, you don't want to be like tied to it. Yeah. So and that like, it can roll on you or something like that. Yeah. But they have stirrups, like they have a way to kind of secure their seat on the horse. And there's nothing for the broom. And a broom is just a magical horse. A broom is just a stick that flies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has little, whatchamacallits at the end. The broom bristles. part of it. The bristles. <laughs> it I couldn't think of the word. The it's, got the, it's got the back the brooms. The brooming part. The broom backs. Yes. Um, so Quidditch, you know, it was really interesting because as we, I was looking this up, um, I, do, I had remembered vaguely that... Quidditch was not necessarily J.K. Rowling's favorite part of writing Harry Potter, and it's pretty evident uh, towards the later books that she was sort of trying to get rid of it a little bit. She was like, stop thinking about Quidditch. She was like, I don't want to think about how to write these (laughs) plays anymore. (laughs) I mean... After writing the Quidditch World Cup, like, I totally understand. But um, it's, it's, you know, of course, part of the grand world of Harry Potter. Of course, there's some sort of huge international sport. That yeah. brings everybody together. And I bet it was hard for her to move away from it because it became just a cultural phenomenon, like Harry Potter itself. But the fact yeah. that there are, there's actually muggle Quidditch means that she couldn't fully step and away from that. On, on top of that, she definitely had in the back of her mind what part of this can become a video game. Um, and Quidditch yeah. is one of them. Oh, yeah. And it's one that I'm very good at. I haven't actually played the Quidditch video game yet. The Quidditch World Cup. To game for xbox is my jam i would be much more willing to play quidditch as a sports video game than any other sports than madden yeah i mean like i'm not interested in quidditch playing the quidditch video game is probably how i realized how dangerous this sport is (laughs) because you have to travel very fast and then you get hit by an iron ball that is enchanted do you actually get to look at the tactics in the video game, or can people foul you, like, as recorded in no. footage through the ages? So you Right, so there aren't fouls. Oh. There are little plays that you can do, but they're mostly just, like, fancy ways to score goals. Okay. And you just get those by, like, scoring other goals, and you, like, build up. You can, like, do, like, different controller combos and do fancy goals. I bet that would have been impossible to program, because when we were doing the research for this episode, we found out that there are 700 Quidditch fouls listed in the Department of Magical Games and Sports Records, according to the wiki. Which is a trivia question about Harry Potter that one should remember. Yes. That's a good one. 700 fouls in Quidditch. It's in Quidditch through the ages as well. Um, so we put down, we made a list of our favorite fouls. Also, they have the hilarious yeah, names. Yeah, the, ty- the names are just the best. I think we, we chose them as a combination of names and also how incredibly violent these things are. Yes. Like, yes, they're obvious fouls. Yeah. So the first one is called blagging. Where you just seize someone's broom. Like, you, like you just grab you someone's broom. You can basically broom. touch any part of them, but just not the broom. Which also, I'm just like, which what? <laughs> if you just took someone's broom out from under them, like, you're gonna fall. I mean, yeah, but also, like, that implies that you could grab someone. Period. Right. And yeah. and as long as you didn't touch the broom, that's okay. Yeah. Um, then there's cobbing, which is excessive elbows, which, like, who judges excessive? See, this is why, like, rules like this don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And in addition, if you recall from what we talked about in terms of the protection that is portrayed in Harry Potter... They don't, I think they have, like, the shin guards. There's no, like, elbow pads and stuff like that. Not that we saw. Right. Yeah. Because also an elbow pad, like, you have to you have to have a lot of motion 
You're not just like keeping balance with your arms. You're you have to use it actively. So an elbow pad would definitely like restrict your motion. I don't think arm guards are necessarily necessary. I mean, if you can hit somebody with your forearm with this kind of motion, I don't think you should be allowed to hit people. But (laughs) apparently, that's okay. I'm telling you, this is not a well thought out sport. Um, and then the best probably foul is called bumping. Yeah, which is where you hit bludgers, which if I will remind you are iron, iron balls, balls towards the spectators. Which great, welcome to our sport. It's dangerous for you too. Maybe we have to make the spectators wear helmets as well. <laughs> Everyone needs it's just a to foul. Wear. It's I not bet. even like an automatic ejection. Do you think that they have to sign uh, liability release forms? No, they because watch. There's World too Cup? much liability with being a wizard. That's probably true. Especially just attending Hogwarts. That's probably true. You could accidentally start throwing up slugs. Maybe that's part of your enrollment paperwork. (laughs) It's just... Then Harry had nobody to sign for him. I promise to not wizardly sue anybody. Who would sign that for Harry? He couldn't even go to Hogsmeade. Maybe Hagrid could sign (laughs) Nobody could sign a liability waiver. Because we know that Hagrid has, you know, he doesn't give a shit about liability. Yeah. So... Um, and then some of the other tactics that were kind of funny Which are that also, also have names. They're basically like plays. Violent. They're not really like tactics. They're yeah, just plays. But they're, they're also nice. very violent and these are totally legal. Yeah. So one of them is called the doppelbeater defense where both of the beaters on a team hit the bludger at the same time. <laughs> doubling the force. Which is just. Which as again, we will talk about. It's an iron ball. It's an iron ball. It's literally the worst thing that could come flying at you. Yeah. And now this now it's coming twice as fast. <laughs> While people are actively flying, increasing like their forward momentum already. Yeah. But like physics still applies. I, I hope. Barely. Barely. That's I true. I mean, they're flying on brims. Barely. So. I mean, you have a point. Yeah. And then one of the ones that I like that had a little bit more information about it when we were looking this up is called the Ronsky Faint. Which is where you dive towards the ground to trick the other team seeker into thinking that you're going for the snitch with the aim of having them hit the ground <laughs> and go and just fall. At like literally terminal velocity. Yeah. And then you like have time to look for the snitch then by yourself. So it's like, like what you totally destroy your opposing seeker. Yes. So that you have all the time you need to look yes. for this. So in the Quidditch World Cup, this is this is the tactic that Victor Crumb used. Yes. Um, against Ireland Seeker. To successfully get the snitch first, but still lose the game, which I'm not going to get totally into the structure of the rules of Quidditch, but is a serious flaw. Mm. I think it makes it just more whimsical and amusing that you can lose the game while still getting the snitch. I think it means that Victor Crumb is dumb. Well... That's just true. <laughs> to me, for somebody who's supposedly the best seeker, no one said that you had to be smart to play this game. Also, it's a I mean, also, sport. also, you've probably been hitting that so many times. Right, this you game. sustained brain damage, which we're going we're to, to get talk to in about. a minute. So, um, the other thing that we noticed that was in, I think, Quidditch through the ages, or was on a Pottermore post or something Pottermore like that, post, I think. was that in the 2014 Quidditch World Cup. Definitely you know, Potter four Post, years ago. Through the ages was published. That's true. That's it's older. That. Um, a Ronsky feint was enacted, Im- used, employed, employed, and one of the players, the one that hit the ground at sixty miles per hour, yeah, um, was able to be revived, or I guess survived due to the rapid administration of Skelligrow. 
Right. Because he had broken all of the bones in his body. Or most of the bones. Most of the bones in his body. Which, I mean, a growing obsession with Skelligrow between <laughs> I mean, all of us. Skelligrow seems essential. And I think and you had like a mirror. any kind of like EMS first aid kit on the field. Yeah. Apparently Skelligrow, Skelligrow would be a part of it. Skelligrow, it seems like Skelligrow could also take the place of having an AED. Yes. Maybe. On the field. Because we also talked about what a first aid kit would look like. If you yeah. were if you were Quidditch EMS or Quidditch like medical services, yeah. you'd need like Quidditch four medical services. QMS. Yes. QMS. <laughs> you would need four to five vials of Skelligro. Yes. You would I think you still need an AED. Like your heart you would, still requires electricity. Yeah, I think you would need you would need all of the basic. Maybe you actually don't need an AED. Stuff. You can just like use sparks oh, wand out of your wand electricity. Yeah, yes, wand electricity. Possibly. I think you would still need stuff like. Well, no, you wouldn't need splinting or whatever because you no Skelligro. Maybe you just need Skelligro and you your wand. You need to, something has to give you hemostasis if you're bleeding. Mm, that's true. I'm sure there's, there's some kind of some, like yeah. herb. Or, like, plant thing. <laughs> Rapid we... administration of bleeding stop. Yes. Here's a question. <laughs> Can you infuse Skelligro, or is it just P.O.? Oh, as in, oral? like, drinking? It seems like you would have to be able to infuse it. Is there an IV form of Skelligro? We have... I wonder if the IV form is the oral form. Like, it is uh, with um, dexamethasone. Yeah. Okay. Dexamethasone is a steroid that we administer that you can administer, like... IV or my mouth. mouth. It tastes terrible. It tastes terrible because it was not made to go in your mouth, but it can. But it can. And so we will do that. But we usually mix it with cherry syrup. Do you think all potions would be able to be administered in both forms? I don't think so because some of them are like really caustic looking. Like really acidic. You'd have to like let it... like, Like what was that one that Hermione makes that they make in book six? It's called like the Black Death or something like that. It's like the first thing, it's like the potion that they make so that Harry wins the Felix Felicis. I don't remember what it's called. But it's called like walking death or something like that. And I was like, I don't know that that should be infused into anybody. I mean, that shouldn't be drunk by anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Truth, truth. I feel you. Anyway. Okay. So the point of this episode really is we kind of want to talk about the different kinds of injuries that you can get in Quidditch and what we would be worried about. And specifically, like, in comparison to Muggle Quidditch is kind of the reference point that we have, as well as some of the other sports that Quidditch is like. So, like, polo and... Um, and, like, hockey and, and stuff. soccer. Yeah. So, the first thing I thought about, since um, I my love is cardiology, once again, we'll just reiterate that a bludger is a literal iron ball. The other sort of tools of Quidditch, like the, you know, the the beaters have like clubs that they can use. And then the quaffle seems to be more like a, it's a leather ball. Yeah. That's more like maybe that's like a shapes. volleyball, but has like a funky has like shape. like a grip kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then the snitch is just like a small metal golden is ball with wings. I think it is metal. Okay. I mean, um, it's definitely metal in the movies. Like it looks metal. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably some sort of shiny gold. Um, but the bludger is probably the most concerning thing. So it's a it's an enchanted iron ball yes. that flies around enchanted. that the beaters have to hit at people, but can also kind of do its own thing. Yeah. Um, and so one of the interesting injuries um, that happens in a sport where similarly a small heavy ball comes flying at you, which is baseball, um, is this condition called commotio cordis. Um, which in Latin means agitation of the heart. 
And basically what it is, is, you know, in a normal heart, um, when the electricity goes through your heart, there's a part where the electricity goes through to make the heart contract. But then there's also a part where all the cells in your heart have to like reset. Um, and so in on an EKG, that area is called the T wave. And it's basically all the cells in your heart resetting so that they can get the next electricity signal to go through. The problem is that not all the cells reset at the same time. So what can happen is if somebody gets hit in the heart with a significant force, right when some of the cells are reset, but some of them aren't, they can get a lethal arrhythmia of the heart because now you've got this force and it kind of makes some of the cells try to um, try to go off and conduct electricity. And then, then the electricity gets like really chaotic yeah. and you can have a literal spontaneous cardiac arrest right on the field. And this has been reported in sports like baseball is probably right. the most common example Which of it. Which isn't even an iron ball. No, it is a, <laughs> it is a leather ball. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have a core. It's rubber. Yeah. It's rubber right. and leather. I don't know anything about and sports. And strength. God bless. Um, but yeah, so it's been reported in sports like baseball um, where the batters aren't typically having any chest protection. Right. Like the uh, the what catcher. Call it? the catcher does. That's what I'm envisioning. Oh yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. would need like that sort of, of like wearing. padded yeah. chest protection. But the batters don't usually have that kind of chest because they have to run, you know. So it's like extra stuff for them. But that's something that can happen. Um, I'm trying to think. It doesn't. You don't really think of it much in other sports, but it could easily happen if somebody got hit by like a club or something like that. Yeah. So that's what I think of. That's not scary at all. And you would need something like. An AED to defibrillate or someone. Or magical electricity. Or magical electricity Which, to defibrillate someone. There is still if that happened. That's kind of like the wizarding world, if it doesn't have AEDs, would still benefit from them because you'd have to hope that whoever, like QMS, when they show up <laughs> on the scene, would know how to grade electricity in order to, to like, like give the right amount of, to give the right amount of, of electricity. Right there. And so then you might as well just have AEDs. I mean, maybe, but could you imagine a bunch of wizards? Like, they can barely use muggle technology. And now they have the... Because an AED <laughs> talks to you. But it's supposed to be able to op be operated by what? Like a... What is it? A five-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. An eight-year-old, I think. Eight-year-old. Five is <laughs> young. Just little kidding. Young. <laughs> but ideally, like, a middle schooler could use it. That's right. what I think. Like, maybe make it for eight, but, like, hope that the lowest Hopefully, age is probably but, a yeah, middle Hopefully, but little kids are yeah. not using it, but... So wizards should be able to figure that out. Yeah, but I can you, can you imagine some muggle contraption that is literally speaking to them and shouting commands? No, it would be hilarious, <laughs> but also not because somebody would be arrested. Would be arresting actively. Time. Yep. Yep. Oh man. Okay. So besides that particularly scary thing that can happen in sports, um, everything else is more what you would think of as like typical sports injuries. So fractures, broken bones, which are broken bones. Um, lacerations or cuts and scrapes and things like that. Um, and then concussions are the big thing that we're going to talk about in a moment, which is a mild traumatic brain injury. But we did find a paper on injuries in Quidditch, um, muggle Quidditch in this case. Yes, which um, is played on the ground. Yes, which was published by the International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy. And it actually breaks down the frequency of injury by the position of the player. And I think this would probably translate to wizard quidditch as well except for the rate of lower limb injuries because in muggle quidditch you run around with with like 
a broom in between, between your legs, legs but yeah. you're like running. And so I imagine that chirping and things yeah, like that, like twisting the angles. frequency of yeah. that is much higher. So I think we can, can ignore that. But everything else I feel like would be relatively accurate. And in this, the rate of injury to chasers seems to be the highest. The highest, yeah. Which kind of makes sense, right? Because they're going up and down the field trying to, you right. know, get score goals. And presumably beaters are trying to stop them. And yes. And so they're... They're the targets of the bludgers yeah. most. Which of the, time. the bludgers in um, Muggle Quidditch are like kickballs. They're those like rubbery balls that you use. Not in iron pee. balls. They're not or iron baseballs. They're not baseballs. You're not just launching baseballs or iron balls at each other. They're actually very soft. I don't know. Kickballs are very soft, but they're pretty. I mean, it depends on how deflated they are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then um, most of the injuries are. Concussions and fractures, yeah. basically. Or sprains. Sprains are more common than fractures. Yeah. Um, but this kind of pattern of injury where you have concussions, you have broken bones, you have sprains, dislocations, are very similar to the pattern of injuries that you get on polo, which actually makes sense because of the what polo is where you're riding a horse and playing with a ball. That's all I know about polo. So no follow-up <laughs> questions, please. Um, but the thing that we want to focus no on specifically... Is um, our Get concussions sports out of here? Yes. So, Deepa, what's a concussion? What is a concussion? A concussion. So, here's the thing about a concussion. I feel like concussions are sometimes like wildly misrepresented on television. They're always wildly <laughs> misrepresented. What a concussion actually is. So it's a mild traumatic brain injury. And the reason people get a concussion is because something happens that causes a disturbance in the way that your neurons function. Um, and it's usually has to do, it's what we call it as a neurometabolic dysfunction. So it has more to do with the way all the different cells and connections in your brain are now working together than a structural injury, which is something that you can like see on an MRI or a, or a head CT or something like that. Right. So that's sort of what, that's the, the biggest branching point is that a concussion you really base upon, you know, something happening that could potentially cause a concussion and then the symptoms not so much something that you see on a piece of imaging. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit in a moment about some of the misconceptions people have about concussions. But this is a good point to mention that, like, one one of the misconceptions that people have is that if they do get brain imaging because they got hit in the head during a game or something and it's normal, that doesn't mean that you don't have a concussion. Exactly. Yeah. And even on TV shows still, they'll do things like they'll look at an MRI and they'll be like, they have a concussion. It's like, right. you don't diagnose a concussion. No, you do not. On the MRI. It's you not going to show anything. You have to talk to the patient, maybe. Yeah, you have to go talk bit. to them. So we were really worried about concussions, mainly because of the basic premise of Quidditch, which is that there's lots of ways to injure your head and nobody's wearing helmets. Right. And I and what we had referenced earlier with the Ronsky feint um, in the 2014 Quidditch World Cup, where we talked about um, the German seeker Pfeiffer who hit the ground and then required the rapid administration of Skelligro. Yeah. Is they actually make a note that say says that at the there was at least a brief period of time where he thought he was some other person. Yes. Klaus. That's right. Oh, I forgot. Which <laughs> indicates that he probably, probably had, had a, a concussion. concussion. Yeah. Um, that I don't know that Skelligro would fix that. No, Skelligro so. will definitely not fix that. So one of the ways, the place that we go for stuff like this is the CDC, Center for Disease Control. Shout out to CDC. Um, has a great website that's called Heads Up. Yep. That's all about brain injuries and specifically concussions. And it's got great resources for 
Um, it's got for parents and patients, obviously, but also like high school coaches or school coaches um, and providers as yeah. well. Um, and the main thing to remember is that you really diagnose a concussion based on the symptoms. Right. So some common symptoms of concussions, they're, they're essentially all symptoms of things being wrong in your head. Yes. That's basically what it is. So if you're having trouble um, recalling what happened before or after you had, you got hit or fell, um, being dazed or stunned, if you're getting like, you know, oftentimes um, kids will be confused um, or unsure or like can't just can't remember things correctly. Um, If you're acting clumsy, that's really not a great sign. Um, Talking or answering questions slowly and then Losing consciousness is, you know, a thing that people always need to keep track of, especially for how long they've been unconscious. Yeah, we're going to come back to that. Yeah, and then any kind of um, behavior change, personality change, mood change, some of these things might not be obvious immediately. Right. You know, so some, you know, sometimes you'll have the injury and, you know, you'll get hit in the head with whatever and then you seem fine. Right. But then, you know, you still have to wonder and watch closely over the next, you know, few days, weeks, some of these symptoms might not come up until later. Right. And I think some of the things you mentioned, um, particularly about being like confused or stunned and things like that, are things that the person who is suffering from the concussion wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you, but hopefully all of the surrounding people are noticing. And if you notice any of those things, then that is reason to be concerned. And the CDC website has this like concussion training videos, which I think basically anybody who interacts with kids that are doing sports should do, you know, like the coaches or teachers or any kind of like medical personnel that's involved. Um, Obviously, you know, in a hospital at the emergency room, people are always thinking about concussions, but it's important, especially if the coach is thinking about putting them back in the game because everything seems fine that they need to be aware to watch for all these symptoms. Cause the coach is usually the one that knows the most about what's happened. Right. You know. Um, and I think some of the other symptoms just really quickly that you can see when someone has a concussion are much more obvious. So things like having a headache, vomiting, any balance problems or things like that, being bothered by light or noise, um, feeling kind of like hazy or groggy, and then again, like confusion or not feeling right, um, which are actually very similar symptoms to a migraine. So if you're familiar with that, yeah. it's like similar symptoms. Um, but it's, it can be more subtle than that. Like it, they don't necessarily have to be vomiting for them to have a concussion. Yeah. So that's why it's important to kind of know some of the more subtle signs as well. Yeah. And the reason we, we talk about vomiting so much is because vomiting is when you have a head injury is like a, is kind of a scary thing right? for us because it's telling us that something in your brain is making it have a little bit more pressure than normal. Um, and that sort of activates certain parts of your brainstem that make you throw up. Right. And, you know, your brain, if there is more pressure in your head, your brain has nowhere to go. Yeah. Because it's a closed box. Because it's in the closed box of your skull. Right. So um, speaking about that, we're going to talk a little bit about some more red flag symptoms that are much more concerning. So are things that, like, you need immediate medical attention. Yeah. Or a medical evaluation for um, because they might be signs of a more severe brain injury, which isn't something that we're going to get into a lot of detail. 
this episode because that's a whole like other it's thing. It's a whole other thing. Um, but the symptoms that you should be aware of are things like if one pupil is larger than the other. Bad. Very bad. Very, very bad. Don't like that at all. <laughs> that is extremely bad. That's basically like what D-Bed said about when your brainstem activates and is making you nauseous and vomit because of the increased pressure in your head. The having one people larger than another is a much later sign of your brainstem being in distress, your yeah. entire brain like being in distress and growing out of its clothes. Right. Um, drowsiness or inability to wake up. I mean, inability to wake up is a is bad sign. Very bad generally sign. for everybody in any <laughs> in any instance. Um, a headache that gets worse or does not go away. Really, if any of these symptoms get worse, that yeah. would be concerning. And then slurred speech, weakness, numbness, decreased coordination, um, repeated vomiting. Um, particularly just, just throughout like that first four hours to a day, essentially, um, seizures, obviously. And then agitation, unusual behavior, basically not acting like themselves. And then loss of consciousness is something that you should, especially for a long time, like more than a minute or so of loss of consciousness is reasons to go, to be a little more concerned and to maybe start looking for other things. Right. I think if, if someone suffers a sports injury on the field and they lose consciousness, even, even if they wake back up like a minute later, yeah, they, they should, should probably be evaluated. evaluated by somebody. And we usually use sort of like four hours as our, um, time mark to kind of see if you're okay in terms of being able to like go home and not need to do a lot of further evaluation. Usually the first four hours can tell us a lot about the severity of the injury. And then the first 24 hours can hopefully tell us a little bit more about what to expect, you know, in terms of what that means about playing sports and stuff again. Right. And our hope would be that Madam Hooch is up to date on all of this Listen, stuff. Madam because... Hooch just put junior... <laughs> wizards on brooms and was like, this is how you do this. Goodbye. She you literally she let, goodbye. hold she on. She literally there. let Harry chase around Draco Malfoy, like all around the Hogwarts castle, are you gonna learn going after <laughs> Neville's freaking remember all. She didn't leave though. She was there. Yeah. But like, happened. this is like, congratulations. To this is your first day on a protocol. broom. Hogwarts definitely doesn't have a concussion protocol because they also don't have a what to do if Voldemort is at Hogwarts protocol, which happened for the first two years of Harry (laughs) going to school there. That's a fair point. But I would think that they would be more likely to have a concussion protocol given that Quidditch was an established sport before Harry Potter rather than a Voldemort protocol. Especially since no one wanted to say his name for so long. (laughs) If you don't say the name, maybe nobody says concussions. Maybe it's the C word. <laughs> what do they call it instead? They probably call it like head bump. <laughs> head bumping? Head bumping. Yeah. All right. So there's lots of, um, I feel like concussions are a common um, popular culture trope yes. because it's a way to make a character do weird things yes. without severely injuring them. You know who actually had a really good depiction of concussion? This is not Harry Potter related. That's right. It's, it's it. a really, really good media representation of concussion is Dwight Schrute in The Office when he was in that car accident. Oh, yeah. And he yeah. was like acting all slow and weird. He was slow and weird. He was really nice to Pam. And then he was vomiting. He and that vomit. was when Jim was like, we got to go to the go. emergency room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. That's yeah. actually a really good depiction of what a concussion can be like. Yeah. And also, most concussions are not so hilarious, though. 
Yes. Yep. And they don't necessarily make you a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> they just make you out of your normal out character. character. Yeah. Okay, so there's lots of myths about concussions. So what are some of the biggest myths? I will say this, the first one I thought of, because of also non-Harry Potter related, the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm. Yes. Um, what's her face? Um, Julia Stiles dances on the table, famous scene from a teen rom-com, hits her head on the light Kind of doesn't really pass out, just like kind of falls over. Yeah. Um, also didn't hit her head that hard. Yeah, she really didn't, but that's anything. fine. Um, and then they do this whole thing about how uh, what's-his-face tries to keep her awake. Keith Ledger. Keith Ledger. R.I.P. Keith Ledger. Um, tries to keep her awake. I don't and he's like, he's like, you need to wake up, you need to wake up. So um, there's this whole thing about, oh, you're not supposed to let somebody with a concussion sleep. Right. Which is just mean. It's so mean. Yeah. So, you know, like we said before, the first four hours after a concussion are, you know, important to monitor someone. But that doesn't mean not letting them rest. Because rest is what's going to make their symptoms get better. Right. I mean, if you think about what the symptoms are, like headache, sensitivity to light, being confused. Yep. All of that is also going to be associated feeling nauseous. All of those things are going to be associated too with like fatigue during yeah. this period, inactivity, movement. So if all that you just stuff. don't let them sleep, that's terrible. Yeah, like shoving a TV in front of their face so that they don't fall asleep is right. the meanest thing you can it's do. So make it worse. You can let somebody with a concussion sleep. I mean, for the first immediate period, it might be nice to have somebody nearby just in case something gets worse, but that doesn't mean they're not allowed to sleep. Yeah. And we think immediate period, again, depending on kind of the severity of their symptoms, if it's a mild concussion and they didn't lose consciousness, you don't have any of those red flag symptoms at all. Um, They're just maybe like a little bit of a headache or something like that. You know, watch them for a good four hours or so. And then if they're tired, let them go to sleep. Yeah. They need to go to sleep. They need to nap and that's okay. Yeah. Um, another myth or kind of misconception about concussion is it doesn't actually have to be a direct hit to your head. It just has to be something that causes a little bit of a brain injury because this is a traumatic brain injury. Something that shakes up the noggin. Yeah. So like a car crash, um, can cause what is basically whiplash. So a back and forth motion, which causes your, your neck to go back and forth and thus your head to go back and forth. And then your brain, which is sitting in some fluid inside your skull to go back and forth. (laughs) Your Um, brain is an organ sitting in fluid inside your skull. Um, that can also result in a concussion. So you don't actually have to get hit directly on the head. And there's all these little teeny tiny little like blood vessels and tissues and connections Mm -hmm. and everything that can have tiny little injuries from just that shaky shaking. Yeah. And it's your brain. So a tiny little injury is still a big deal. Yeah. Because it's your brain. Once again, it's your brain. Yeah. It's the most important thing in your body aside from your heart. Yeah. So the whiplash injury, I think, is particularly relevant to Quidditch because they're flying around on brooms. Yeah. So they change direction quickly. A broom can change direction abruptly. quickly. Um, and then there was that whole scene in Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, if you're in the UK, where Harry's broom is enchanted by Quirrell. Slash Voldemort. Sure. Voldemort. Sure. He must not be named. Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort was at Hogwarts, safest place in the world. Yeah. And that, and when that happened, his room was literally trying to shake him Yeah. Up. In the movie, it's like literally it is, is being <laughs> thrashed around. He definitely had whiplash from that. Yeah. I mean, he, is that when he falls and has to use the Skelligro? No, that's in Chamber of Secrets, no, I think. No, because the Skelligro thing he uses because the bones in his arms go away because of Gilderoy Lockhart. 
Oh, yes. Gilderoy because Lockhart he's a terrible wizard. Like, yeah. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Does he try to fix something else? And then he tries yes. to fix Harry's broken arm, maybe? It makes the bones go away or <laughs> I something. I mean, it's not broken anymore. There are no, <laughs> no bones not, in it. There are no bones. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So yeah. So it's important to know you don't have to get hit in the head to get a concussion. There's lots of ways to get a concussion. The world is a dangerous place, everybody. You can <laughs> get a helmets. concussion from anything. <laughs> wear I made my sister wear a helmet when we went horseback riding in Yellowstone, even though it was only, that's smart. It was only required for less than ten years old. And I said we are I wearing mean, helmets. Everyone's brain is precious. Yeah. I mean, especially you only have mine. the one. So. <laughs> You don't have any spare brains. <laughs> no, and that's the one thing we cannot transplant. No. Nope. Is a brain. Nobody's tried, and I don't think anybody will. I don't even know where you would start to transplant a brain. Yeah. You'd have to transplant is all it the... not your brain anymore? You'd have to transplant... Else's? Where would you cut? Oh, wow, this is such an interesting question. Yeah, like, what counts as a brain transplant? Like, what makes up a person? This is getting a little... We're going, we gotta go back. Concussions. Okay. Um, so, oh, no, no, no. So the last... Yeah. Uh, thing about concussions is if someone is unconscious, so if someone yeah. if someone sustained an injury, this also yeah. applies to non-quidditch sports. Yes, and football, is unconscious lacrosse, on the field, whatever. Don't just go and move them willy nilly. Soccer, because especially things like soccer where you don't have a helmet. Yes, especially things like soccer. Yeah, because they might have a neck or a spinal cord injury. Yeah. So, so when somebody is down on a field, yeah. unconscious, assume their head and their spines are injured. Their right. spines, yes. All, All of their, their spines. spines. <laughs> Assume their head and spine are injured. Yeah. And then you go to your trustworthy ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Yeah. Um, and then I would say that if you don't have experience stabilizing a head and neck, to just don't, don't touch do them. It. Call for help. Call That's for help. Call 911. Um, if somebody around there is experienced, which you leave blowing again, I know it's fine. Um, if somebody around has been trained in how to do things like stabilize heads and necks, then that's fine. And they can work on that because it does make it easier to check on things like breathing. Yes. When you're in the right yeah. position. But if you don't have training in it, it's really better if you don't. And yeah. the best thing you can do is actually call for help. Yeah. So don't move them around. If you, if they need to be moved, you would have to do something called a log roll, which, again, should be done with someone who is trained to yeah. stabilize and the head. And requires neck. multiple people. Requires at least two people, yeah. if not more than that. And that's where you kind of, like, have a bunch of people along the length of someone's body right. to sort of move them so that your whole body moves like a board. Right. So you keep the spine aligned the entire yeah. time when you're moving them. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things that we ended up having to look up because we couldn't remember the details of it is if there are helmets involved. So if somebody is unconscious, there's always this question of whether or not you should remove their helmet or not because of for assessment or for whatever. But I think the basic moral of this this misconception is if you don't know how to stabilize their neck, don't do anything. Yeah. Like, don't remove their helmet. Don't do anything if you don't know how to stabilize Yeah, their do spine. only as much as you can in terms of what you know. Right. And if once your knowledge stops, just don't touch it. Because right. stabilizing the spine is key. Um, there's a lot of things we can do for heads, but your spinal cord injury, um, especially if it's high up or something like that, can be very severe and you don't want to make it worse. Right. And I think at most, if you... If you, like, can do it easily without moving their head or neck, you can remove, like, their face mask yeah. part so that you can look at their, like, airway and stuff. Yeah. But don't take their helmet off yeah. if you don't know how to do it. So the biggest question that people who have suffered concussions will ask 
is when can they start playing sports again? And the answer, if you look this up, is consult with your doctor. Consult with your doctor. But that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's not. This what is we're not. Here it's for. not what we're here for. No, this is not official not. medical <laughs> advice. This is not official Everyone medical. Ignore Deepa. Everybody should consult their doctor. <laughs> consult your own doctor, regardless Re- of what we say. That's correct. Um, but the basic idea is that you need to have zero symptoms that you had from the concussion. And that doesn't just mean like, oh, my headache's gotten better. Right. I'm feeling less slow. It's like you need to be back to exactly how you were before you had any of these symptoms. Right. And that's when you can start getting back to activity. Yes. So that's not when you can like go back and play, you full know, contact, full contact the games. games. It's when you can maybe start like running around the track with the team. Right. It's usually called um, like a graded return to play. Yeah. Um, process, which is something that you would work on with your own doctor. And what they would do is do serial evaluations. So you'd come in and check in with them periodically, mm-hmm. see how your symptoms are. And once they're you're not reporting any symptoms, they'll be like, okay, now you can like do some light exercise. Yeah. And then they'll see if you have symptoms with that. And then if you don't for a period of time, then they'll you be like, can now you move can on to the next. Else. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a really long process, usually yeah. longer than most people think is necessary so if your again, emergency room brain. if your emergency room doctor says like oh you'll be able to go back in don't believe six them. weeks don't they don't know them. that's not the case and that's not good i mean it's not good right the whole point of this is to let your brain do the recovery it needs to do so that it can work right it's not that we don't want you to play sports and, and stuff. We, we want you to sports are good for you yeah physical activity is good for you we love your it brain to be okay but your brain is super important it's literally more important than sports yeah so i mean maybe if it were really more important than sports we wouldn't have football but here we are <laughs> that's a whole other conversation <laughs> <laughs> that is ongoing um but yeah so you know Work with your doctor. Sometimes if your symptoms are severe enough, some doctors might um, refer you to a neurologist or a neuropsychologist. Um, and then they would also help work with you in terms of returning to play and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if you're in any kind of intense, um, like more elite level league or something like that of certain sports, then you really sh- the league itself should have certain guidelines so that you're not penalized as a player for being out because you had a concussion. Right. Okay, so now that we've learned all about concussions, let's go to the resident lounge where we can talk about some of the random factoids that are either related or unrelated during the course of our research. All right, so the best thing was that, especially in this episode, we did a lot of try to, of literature searching since mostly what we were looking up was like sports injuries and whatever. For sports that we're not familiar with, like polo. Yeah, like polo. Like <laughs> polo, and even just like lacrosse and things like that. Right. But what we learned is that people try to publish a lot about Harry Potter. They just try to jump on the Harry Potter train. Yes. And get, like, views and clicks for their nonsense medical papers. So PubMed journals, if you search on PubMed.gov for Harry Potter, you will find quite a bit of results. Yeah. Some of them are are good in the sense that they're, like, legit um, people who have read the books. Yeah. But other ones are just literal nonsense. Some of them are just, like, the 
Paris tangentially related to Harry Potter. Yeah, they'll just be like, this is what I know about wizards. And then they'll just <laughs> use some names in Harry Potter and make some kind of conclusion about, like, the rate of COPD in Harry Potter. Yeah, like, there's there is one... I, I should have linked it. I'll have to look it up again. And if I find it, I'll put it in the liner notes. But there was one, like, opinion piece or something that we read who referred to a Professor Lucius. Right. And I was like, like who are you talking about? Are you talking about Lupin? Are you talking about Draco's dad? dad. Like, yeah. what's happening? Nobody knows here? who you're talking about. Are you talking about Severus Snape? Because some of the things that they reference sounded like maybe it was Snape related. I don't know. Yeah, like, That person had obviously book. never read Harry Potter. They just wanted to, like, get in on that Harry read Potter. Read Harry Potter. Thing. It takes, like, two days. It does. Well, less than that if you're, like, really into it. I mean... If you're reading it to write something about, you sure. have to read it closely. You gotta make notes. That's true. Although if you're... So, like, let's say you'd only have to read one Harry Potter book to be exposed both to Lu- Lupin and Lucius, right? Just three? Just the third one? Lucius? Is he in three for some reason? I don't think so. I just feel like he pops up everywhere when you yeah, I mean, that's true. So. Mayhaps. Mayhaps. Anyway, so we found that So out. that was one fun thing. <laughs> um, the best thing I found in all of this is I really went down a deep dark hole looking at stuff <laughs> about USA Quidditch. So yeah. there is an official USA Quidditch league, which is amazing. Um, which um, started off. I learned at Middlebury college. They Where's started that? at some like one of okay. these new England. I don't know. I don't it's know. some, it's like a little liberal arts, new England, something or other. I think it's in Connecticut. I don't know. We'll look don't it up. Us. I don't. We'll yeah, I have no idea. Middlebury. I'm sorry, but it started at Middlebury, and they came up with the rules. Um, and the actual the, the rules are pretty. I mean, they're pretty close to uh, Quidditch as described in Harry Potter in terms of like there's two teams, there's goals, there's a quaffle. The bludgers, like I said, are like uh, kickballs, and the snitch is a person. This part is the best. Yeah. So the snitch is a person who has like a tennis ball in a sock that's attached to the back of their shorts. And at some point during the game, they run out and then the seekers have to get them and they specifically have to grab the sock out of the back of their shorts with the tennis ball in it. Yeah. Now it's a little like flag football. In the original rules, they were allowed to be anywhere on campus. Which is the best. So they could just like <laughs> run across campus and the seekers would have to go find them there. And similarly, once the snitch is caught, the um, the game ends. But the snitch's actual goal is to prevent the seekers from getting that tennis ball on both teams. Mm-hmm. And so um, the rules are, itself in terms of the scoring and, and, and everything make a little bit more sense to have. Like It's not like the snitch is worth 150 points. I think it's worth like mm. 80 points or something like that. Okay. So it's not, you know, there's a little more strategy in terms of like when to catch the snitch. It's not just like catch it as soon as you can. It's not like, yeah, catch it okay. as soon as you can, you'll win. Um, but there's tons of videos online. There is actually a Quidditch World Cup um, that the U.S., I think, won the first one. So there is a U.S. national team for Quidditch. Nice. And the way that USA Quidditch works. So I learned most of this by listening to a podcast um, on The Ringer called Binge Mode. They, they're doing a Harry Potter version. They did one specific episode about Quidditch where they interview um, this woman who was part of the, I think she was one of the founders of the USA Quidditch League and um, is now on the board and stuff like that. And so she's like Quidditch full time. But the United States is divided into regions. Sure. And so there's like obviously a national tournament and all that stuff. But for the USA national team, they have like X number of, there has to be like X number of people from every region represented. Um, And then they go and travel and do the Quidditch World Cup, which was like in, it was somewhere, I think it was in the UK 
most recently, but then I think it's been in Germany and stuff like that. And it's pretty cool. The um, the U.S. won, I think, the first one, but then they like lost the second one or something like that. But it's like a big deal to get on the national team. That's interesting. Yeah, and they and they get and there are people who are like snitches. Like that's their job, you know. Like so they're like professional. Snitches. No, <laughs> they're professional snitches. Probably. They probably do get snitches. You're right. Um, but they're professional snitches. So I would encourage everybody to go online, look at, vi- watch videos. I legit watched a full Quidditch match on YouTube. That's awesome. It was the, um, like final, I think it was the USA final. So apparently the Southwest is really good. That's where all the best teams are. Oh. So the team started out obviously in New England and stuff like that, but that like mean? Texas A&M, UT, okay. um, teams from Arizona, like they have the best Quidditch teams and they're really into it. Um, and so I watched a full Quidditch match and it's actually kind of interesting. Like when you get hit with the bludger, so the bludgers, there's three bludgers, Mm -hmm. but, um, only up to two of them can be on one team at a time. So like your, your team can't hold all three bludgers. Oh, right. Cause they're kickballs. Cause they're kickballs. Yeah. Yeah. So your team can't hold all three. When you get hit by a bludger, (laughs) they're not magic. (laughs) When you get hit by a bludger, you have to drop everything that you're holding and then you have to run and touch your goalpost and then come back. Yeah, you, so you had to have the broom between your legs at all times. Okay. Um, and so, like, if you're holding... It's, it makes sense, right? Like, if you're a beater and you see somebody on the opposite team that has the quaffle, if you hit them with oh, a the bludger, it. they have to drop everything. Okay. Um, and then... Or you could hit the bludger on their team if you see that they're... The, sorry, the, the beater, beater on their team if you like. So there's like strategy and like... It's a lot of running. The other thing is like the teams are required to have like half women, half men. Um, and so that's one of just like the baseline requirements and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a co-ed sport. It seems like the people who do it are really into it. And so I really enjoyed watching all these videos. There's like a UCLA Quidditch hype video. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to have to look this up later because I did not get as deep into the hole about USA Quidditch as you did. I went in on it. I will look at this later. Yeah. Um, we have another point. This is Harry Potter accidents, and I don't really remember what that. That is was now. the paper that we saw. That it was published. Of course, I think it's in the BMJ. We can look at it really quick. The British Medical Journal. Um, That's all just clicking, as if you can hear it. The is it the BMJ? Yeah, of course it is. It is um, the BMJ. God bless. So the BMJ um, uh, published yeah. an article um, that was looking at. So mo- more accidents tend to happen during the holidays, during summertime. Because kids are just playing more and, you know, have more potential to do that. So what they did was they looked at a number of years, specific weekends, um, to see the average number of, uh, like, ER. I think they were ER visits with some kind of injury. Yeah. Um, and then compared that with weekends that a Harry Potter book was released. Right. And basically showed that Harry Potter books made kids become shut-ins. And so they didn't get injured as much. Because they were, like, at home reading. Yeah. Um, and so they have this graph where they show over the course of, like, two or three years um, the average number of ED visits, uh, you know, in 2004 or 5, 6 over, like, some weekends in July. And then compared that to the specific weekends that I think it was probably – what are the years there? There's 2003 and 2005. Yeah. So that would have been books, like, maybe four and five or – Six or and fi- seven. Those no, are six, five like and six. five and six. Okay, books five and six. Um, I order of the phoenix and showed that kids in the United Kingdom were staying home to and read. reading and not getting injured. Although I will say, like this, what <laughs> it, they say, like what's already known on this topic, and they have a section of the paper that's like what the study adds, and they state 
This study adds, releasing Harry Potter books seems to reduce the incidence of traumatic injuries in children. And I'm like, not individually. Like, yes, in that if you... In the aggregate. Yeah. But I don't know. I I don't like that statement. Why? It feels weird. I think it's right. It feels weird. I I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't know how to help you. (laughs) But those were the things. Those were the things. So, in that case, since we've finished up with the resident lounge um let's go to the discharge summary which is where we actually review the thing that we talked about and my review of quidditch is that it's too dangerous and my kid will never play it in their life you don't have a kid i mean <laughs> your future children my future kid your future hypothetical Jeez, with the semantics <laughs> um quidditch is super dangerous like most a lot of things that happen in harry potter it seems like people are just not worried enough about their brains yeah i think i would give quidditch a five out of five for whimsy and sure. a zero out of five for safety. I'm going to give it a zero out of five for safety. I'm going to give it a one out of five for rules that make sense or a scoring system that it makes <laughs> That's sense. That's why the whimsy is at five broomsticks. And I'll give it a four out of five for whimsy just because I cannot get over the rules being nuts. I think the rules are hilarious. So five out of five for whimsy. Oh for my me. God. Broomsticks. Okay. All right. Okay, so that has been our episode about Harry Potter and the traumatic brain injury. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Doc's Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Doc's Watch Pod or visit us at docswatchpod.com.